mid-season break we're back this is the working man's football podcast my name's danny now as you know i'm a massive city fan so you've got to give me one episode where i get to talk about my uh, my own club and this week we've broken with the working man's connection and it's actually my old man who's uh, going to be joining us for this game and uh, as i say at the start of the, the pod to him uh, i've got him to thank um and him to not thank some days for, for being a Manchester City fan. Now, before we get stuck into the game, um, I just want to say it might be a, a game that United fans aren't so keen on. But stick around to the end because um, in this particular story, both of us experienced a couple of touches of class from some uh, some United fans on this uh, particular special day for us. Um, which... It seems to have uh, stuck with us all these years after as well, and it's interesting with what's going on at the moment. The club has uh, both clubs have have done a lot of good in the community with regards to um, you know helping people out impacted by coronavirus. And uh, but uh, in the cold, in the cold light of day when the two teams are going head to head fighting for trophies, there's not much love lost. But there's a yeah a couple of sort of nice nice stories there of proper football fans. Um, reaching out to us as, as proper football fans and um, giving us well wishes and make sure that we uh, enjoy what, as I say, is a, is a very special day for, for us City fans. Uh, the game, of course, is uh, City 3, QPR 2, because we're, we're just about eight years and a week or two on from that one now. Um, but it's a, it's a story that we all know well, but nonetheless, one that was uh, nice to relive for the both of us. Do come back at the end because we will do the usual wrap up and I want to give you a bit of information as to why I took uh, a little bit of a mid-week break because I've sort of had another football related uh, podcast and a little bit of a a hobby to tide me over during the colder, darker winter months in uh, in Australia where we've no Christmas to look forward to or what have you. It's been a good little isolation quarantine project I've, I've had on the run which I'll fill you about at the end and fill you in on at the end and it's quite exciting to be honest um, involved a couple of entities and, and groups um, which do some really really exciting stuff including Stonewall FC uh, in the UK we've been speaking to those guys um, as well as um, uh, possible avenue into having a chat with someone at uh, FC United um, and also been talking to a few other organisations as well. There's a fantastic community initiative um, called Sons of the West, run by uh, one of the uh, AFL teams over here in Australia, and that's something I'm, I'm looking to explore and understand a little bit more around why football clubs, maybe in the Premier League with all the resources they've got, don't necessarily have that reach um, or use the reach to that extent. But I'll tell you more about that uh, when you come back after the, the pod, if you do stick around even uh, the United fans amongst us. Alright, so back for week four of the Working Man's Football Podcast, except it's not a, a working connection this week. It's the man I have to blame and thank for making me a, a City fan, which is my old man. Hello, Dad, how are you doing? Hello there, yes, guilty as charged. Indeed. Now, um, it's maybe not one for 
for anyone that's from the red quarter of Manchester. It's more for those from the blue three quarters of Manchester, this particular one. But May, the, when you get to May at the end of the season, there are so many anniversaries for so many clubs of you know famous and important wins. And um, Manchester clubs in particular are famous for dramatic comebacks, going behind on, um, on the big stage. But this isn't... Uh, Bayern Munich 1, Manchester United 2. It's not Manchester City 2, Gillingham 2. Uh, it's not even City 4, Blackburn 1 uh, the year after, where 100,000 were at that game. It's Manchester City fans' equivalent of the Sex Pistols gig. It's, of course, Happy Aguero-versary, although we're a week or so late. Um, City 3, QPR 2. Now, before we get stuck into this one, because I was at that game, I think you were you were working that day, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. Um, stuck in an office, but um, we're able to watch oh, through my hands for 90 minutes, yeah. What? 93 minutes. Before going into that game, because obviously we know what happens, but typical City, um, you know, we have to go through the roller coaster. What did you think the day of the game? Did you think, you know, this is in the bag, or did you always think there was a chance of the game being a banana skin? Not potential banana skin, just banana skin. The. the... Apart from the typical city ability to implode, the the thing that was nagging to some degree was the fact that QPR were in danger of relegation and it was realistic that if they got a point or three that they would stay up. And without that, if they had nothing to play for, I would have been you know, a good 10% more confident than it actually was. Mm, fair enough. All right, well, let's have a talk about the teams because it's 22 blokes, um, which, you know, you could argue 12 and a half City legends, um, Joey Barton and a few QPR lads, essentially, because the, the QPR team does contain a few City players of yesterday. Paddy Kenny in goal, Neda Manua, uh, Anton Ferdinand, Clint Hill. Um, is it Taribo, Taiwo? Was it Taribo? Uh, Taiwo, I'm not 100% sure of his first name. I think you may have been right with Taribo. Yep, he's in the mix uh, of the game. He was, he was, he was one who um, I couldn't recall much of him at all, but um, he did uh, he did have a re- you know some influence on the game. Uh, Sean Wright Phillips, who at one point plays the centre midfield, when the next man I'm about to mention gets himself dismissed in acrimonious style, Joey Barton. Sean, Sean Derry, Sean Derry, yeah. I thought Derry was club captain at QPR. Um, well, he was captain on this occasion. No, and, Joey Barton uh, was captain. Joey Barton was captain. Oh, well, I do recall a moment when the referee speaks to Derry. Perhaps he took the armband once once, once Barton That's was right. sent off. Maybe, right. And maybe Barton was just captain because he was playing City. Although, at the same by the same token, you would think Wright Phillips would be more... Uh, deserving of that honour. Even Ned and Manua. Uh, Jamie Mackey, Jabril Cisse, Bobby Zamora. Um, so, you know, it's. It, I always used to think Portsmouth used to have these mishmash teams of assembled sort of stars of yesterday, paid in big bucks, and eventually the, the plan um, fell through. And I think in the end it did with QPR. Uh, you know, these players of yesterday year just, just didn't quite have it, and eventually they went down. But the City team, Joe Hart, my favourite, Pablo Zabaleta, Vincent Company, Julian Lescott. Gail Clichy, Sammy Nasri, Yaya Torre, Gareth Barry, David Silva, Carlos Tevez, who comes back after a um, stay of absence, really, with uh, the bust-up with Mancini um, uh, in the Bayern Munich game, and, of uh, of course, Sergio Aguero. Who, who out of those players 
you know, do you think City, it, who are those players in their prime, City need back the most at the moment? You know, we've had a, a little bit of a damp squib of a season defending the title, although three in a row is, is particularly hard these days in the Premier League. Well, that's a, that is an interesting question. Um, Zabaleta clearly would be the one, well, the first one if you go from back to front. Um, and, and, clearly, and clearly company um, if you stay in the back. So those two. And um, yeah, obviously one or two of them are still there. And, um, you know, somebody like Tevez on his day would be a man you would want around but he has a particularly bad game this day and he's substituted um, mm. which you know if you'd said at 3pm the kickoff time that Tevez was going to be brought off you, I, I imagine most people would have been surprised if it, unless it was due to injury yep. but he had to come up as he probably stayed on 20 minutes longer than he should have done and uh, the rest would have been history without him coming on coming off. I mean, you, you might think, I don't know if this is unfair, we should have maybe won the league by a streak that season because probably as we were getting to around sort of Easter time, I think before, um, yeah, maybe around Easter time if I'm not mistaken, I, I think we, we were just absolutely, you know, on fire and probably where we fell behind a little bit was maybe that absence of Tevez being away because I think... We've, we've obviously sold Bellamy at this point, but Tevez is a good example. Gareth Barry, I thought, was a loss. You know, they were real um, sleeves rolled up, you know, dirty knees, match-winner type players. And I think the season after when we lost a couple of these, and some of the signings that we had with Pellegrini, you know, um, Rodwell, Garcia, they just didn't have that, that bit between the teeth. And, and while we played decent football with Pellegrini initially, it's easy to see how it, it, it fell away after that. Obviously, um, yeah, I agree with all that. But and obviously, I've admitted Yaya Toure. Um, and when you sort of analyse the season in the cold light of day, again, he did go to the African Nations Cup that 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 winter. Yeah. And I think we probably lost to Everton at that point, or a lot of drop points while he was away, which we might not have dropped as many points. And when you come to winning it by a hair's breadth, a bit like we did last season, um, then things like that are quite significant because, you know, one point here or three points there and suddenly you, you're breathing easy <laughs> and you are sort of relatively coasting it. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, it's interesting Tevez doesn't have such a great game because when he does come back, I think he, he sets up now for his goal when we beat Chelsea and really start to go on this run and, you know, think about taking, taking United down. And it was interesting in the crowd that night because some people got up and applauded him and some people booed him. I'd probably say that, the crowd was 47.5% each for and against and 5% passives, which just sort of stayed out of it. And that, that was certainly me because he still was a City player and wore a City shirt. I don't think he was out to cause us damage and he, he certainly delivered you know, within the last couple of games. But um, interesting stat about um, who he substituted for, Mario Balotelli, which we'll come on to a little bit later. But the, the game starts... Um, I don't know, you can have these big moments where teams can freeze a little bit and I don't think we, we played, you know, like we were absolutely on fire. Um, the 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 crowd, you know, was really up and about, which was nice. Everybody was on the feet for most of the game, but it's typical if you don't get an early, early goal or even an early goal, the nerves start to sort of settle in and the, the opposition just grows with a little bit more confidence or rather the pressure of the occasion lifts off them. And I think it did lift off 
QPR a little bit sooner and um, they were pretty well organised for the most part of most part of the game until um, until Barton got dismissed, weren't they? Yeah, it started off and it looked like a, a relatively bold lineup from Hughes, Mark Hughes, but really both centre forward, both strikers dropped back into midfield. Although he could have done that and played midfielders clearly, so it was bold to some degree. But they were organised. Um, obviously, you've got to bear in mind they needed a point, so he, he, he did play that, you know, Cissé and Zamora. Um, and the other thing was, with the nerves, that United scored quite early at Sunderland, and, and there was always that feeling, I don't know if, what it was like at the ground, but there was always that feeling that if Sunderland had fluked a G-Dong-1 equaliser, then um, United would have scored at will at any point to win that game. Yeah. So that, that increased the nerves, yeah. Yeah, well, I think the first real chance it takes twenty five minutes for something concrete to happen, and um, Aguero has a go. Uh, I think the ball is is um, is cut in by Nasri, um, and uh, it, it's blocked. It, it's a goal and a move that you'd seen City score that season probably fifteen or twenty times, and you just think, oh, if that goes in, and then you start to maybe get the jitters and the doubts, the doubts um, start to to creep in a little bit. But we have to wait almost until half time in, not a. Um, a half of of nothing of note, but just nothing nothing major really before we we get the goal and um, it, it's considering all that attacking talent City had. Um, on the one hand, it's not so surprising that Zabaleta is the guy that opens um, the scoring because he, he was always raiding raiding uh, raiding the right side. Um, but it, it it could have been Torre Silva, Nasri, uh, Aguero, Tevez, as you say, and in the end, the ball sort of. Um, Fumbles and stumbles itself um, after Paddy Kenny um, does make a couple of other saves. Yeah, and the irony, I think the, the sort of the irony, if that's the right word at that point, is that you think, oh well, our name isn't it because that was a it was Zabaleta's first goal of the season, and b you know it didn't look like it was going to go in, and even. It went in in slow motion. Yeah, that's and a better way of putting it. Really convincing yourself it, it's crossed the line, and clearly it was over by two or three feet in the end. But you know, it was sort of you know a surreal sort of moment, and you thought that well, that's it now. And that, and that was really my reaction at that point at, at, at um, twenty to four was yeah, that that's it now. You know, can't <laughs> cop this up. Even with Yari Yaitore going off soon after, he does. Yeah, uh, you sort of thought what could go wrong, and. And then if, if we just go forward a little bit to the Barton incident, then it's got to be in the bag, hasn't it? Against 10 men, it's got to be. Yeah, definitely. Well, we should double our lead before the half. It's a similar move again. Barry sets it up and um, Aguero's denied uh, once again. And then, yeah, as you say, De Jong replaces Torre, who, I mean, I've not checked the stats, but he must have played the best part of 60 games that season. It's surprising he lasts that long. And when you think about that day, United dropped points against Everton, the 4-4, um, and Torre, um, I think Mancini brought De Jong on in order to push Torre forward, and he scores a brace at St James's again. It's one of those key weekends where we we claw back the deficit with 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 United. But I've forgotten until I watched this game how deeply we used to deploy Yaya Torre, especially thinking that we had Gareth Barry in the team at the time or Nigel De Jong, and I always thought that Torre was playing almost in a number ten role. But it's really only when Dion came on that we'd really push him that far forward. Usually Barry would be there to 
mop up the scraps in the final third and allow us to restart moves higher up the pitch, which doesn't feel like a very Italian strategy and, and tactic. But yeah, it escaped me that, how deep we used to play Yaya Torre and, and how much he controlled the games from, from deep. I've totally forgotten about that. I know, and you mentioned Barry a few times already, and I've not, and yeah, I mean, clearly he had a, he played a, more than played his part in that season, and you sort, but you look at the team, and you sort of think the way Yaya played, what, why would we need him so much? But much like when Fernandinho came playing with with Yaya Torre, he was that second fiddle arrangement sort of, um, you know, has, has been has been effective for a few City teams indeed indeed and then um, temporarily the, the wheels start to come off uh, after the break so it looks like you know we're, we're fairly settled and we're in the box seat as, as you say and as we should be arguably and um, I don't know what happens to Jolie on Lescott because he's generally pretty solid in the air but um, he had sort of yeah. a 50 pence uh, Crichton from Red Dwarf moment there and God knows what happened and how it happened but obviously Cissé's released and it's a pretty decent finish in, uh, in fairness to him, isn't it? Yeah, one of those where the strikers gets his chance, a rare chance, obviously, on the day for him. Um, just wants to hit the target, doesn't he? I'm not sure. Usually you see strikers go for the far corner so the goalkeeper's right. And this time he, he, he whacked it, whether he meant it to go to Joe's left. But either way, any sort of shot that was a yard either side of him, well hit, was going to go in and... Uh, you know, you can't give players with that kind of level of ability that kind of chance. And uh, this is, you know, there's to try out any number of cliches there, but I'll, just one one moment and one lapse, and that's that. Yeah, and, it, and it's easy to forget probably the quality that Cissé has because I think he's really unlucky when he comes to England. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was 2004. He broke his leg on his debut, I think, against Tottenham for Liverpool. Um, and you know, Julier was pretty smart with him. I think he got across, he got ahead of the curve, and he signed him. I think before Euro two thousand and four, and he got him pretty cheap. But at this stage, you know, France were probably the dominant side in Europe, and they've got Henri, Trezeguet, Viltord, and and Gibril Cisse is a relatively, by comparison to those names, and Nicolas Nelka, a bit of an unknown um, quantity. And we don't get to know him that, as much as, as maybe we should when he first comes to England because of his his leg break. Um, but clearly a very talented player and um, you know QPR took a bit of a, uh, a punt on him with that but I think you're right in, uh, in what you're saying there you give a player with that kind of talent even if you know they have suffered big injuries and have big blocks in the career they'll, um, they'll hit the back of the net with half a yard won't they so <laughs> we're dice well yeah there. I mean even Zamora you know was no mug and if that ball had fallen to him albeit I think he's left footed isn't he Zamora but um, he scored against us earlier in the season um, when we dropped points at Fulham, and uh, he had he, he was wasn't averse to scoring against City or being in teams that had punished City at Fulham. So um, that was also if it had gone to him as well, yeah, that's that. The th- is the third goal of the game that you know really comes you into the, you start to get to the point if you can't write it, you just can't imagine a goal like that coming about. But it come about, it did. Yeah, in, indeed. And um, I guess just before we jump to that, I would probably say for 16 of the prior 20 years before this game, most players were 
prime for a goal against City usually. If you needed a goal, you play against City and you get one. I remember that happening you know, a lot through the 2000s. But yeah, of course Barton goals, and before we get um, a bit more onto that goal, like they always say we think, I mean, this is an extreme example, but you hear of like heinous crimes being committed and you say, you know, don't even try and rationalise with what the person was thinking at the time because you, 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 just, you just can't rationalise with people like that. It's almost one of those with Joey Barton, like what the hell is going on in his mind? I mean, we know he's a loose cannon, we know he's a short fuse, but I'm, I'm, I'm half surprised he hasn't come out since and said, you know, I did it on purpose to rile City up so they could win the league. You know, it's the type of ball that would probably try and take credit for it, but it, you couldn't write that. You, you couldn't put a bet on that happening, could you? Um, unfortunate turn of phrase, saying you couldn't put a bet on it, maybe, but um, <laughs> I know um, it was, you know, you think of well, that game, there's, there's one the iconic moment in the Premier League history, one of the iconic moments. But if you if you were to sort of draw up a list of, you know, a hundred strange things happening in the Premier League, then Joy Barton's behaviour is probably going to make it in there. Yeah, one of them, maybe it's this or putting out a cigarette on Jimmy Tandy's face. <laughs> Neither of which cover him in glory or hitting a kid on the way home from the park or whatever it was. Oh, Joey, what are you doing? Um, well, then they take the lead, obviously, with... Um, Jamie Mackey's header, I think it's uh, Triarm and uh, Alan Triore that sets the goal up, and he's a substitute, so um, he does have uh, he does obviously have a, an impact, and then we're kind of going for broke at this point, and there are a lot of people crying in the ground at this particular time, and you know I had a, I was a bit teary and not fully understanding everything that was going on when I went to Wembley in '99, getting caught up in the emotion of it, and probably just knackered because we got up at 4 a.m. as well to drive down to London. Um, but I wasn't at the point with this. I, I, I didn't ne- didn't necessarily think we could reverse the deficit, but I also wasn't prepared to let go and give up. And I just thought, let's see what happens. And obviously, what happens next, I would I would never have expected. But Gary Gareth Barry's um, sacrificed for for Jeco. And I mean, talking about players there uh, at the start, who you know maybe in the prime we'd have back. Jeco's a player who's you know gone off and had a Twilight period's unfair. He's not that old, but he scored goals for fun since he's he's been in Italy, hasn't he? Different league, of course. Yeah, I mean, the Italian league I think has got increasingly less demanding for players like Zeko. But I would never take anything away from him either in, you know, uh, for Bosnia, Roma, or what he did with City. Um, despite plenty of brickbats coming his way. Um, you know, he certainly was a trier, um, and he's he's in that sort of second grade of player that we talk about, like the Giroud's of this world. You know, who aren't sort of you're never going to call them world class, but at the same time, it doesn't mean they can't score you lots of goals. And you know, obviously, none as important as as the one that came up. Um, when you talk about your emotions at that point, I mean, I know just to sort of give you the picture of myself. Again, as I say, I was watching trying to watch as much as I could you know, there was no disappearing to the kitchen to make a drink or anything it was, you had to sort of be there in case something happened and I was, I, I was just basically slumped on the desk with my, you know, my head on my, on my, on my hands on my, slumped on my desk Kevin Keegan-esque sort of looking up you know, like, as though I'm doing an eye test looking up yeah, just trying to hope in hope that something would break on the screen but for, for 20 five minutes maybe um, which seemed like two and a half hours yeah. nothing did really no no 
Well then, um, it's um, it's all or nothing from the gaffer as he brings on Balotelli for Tevez, who you mentioned before uh, didn't have the best the best game. Um, and Jay Bothroyd actually comes on for Bobby Zamora, so not not far from from like for like with at least an attacking player. And was certainly not shutting up uh, at shop at that point. But I think at this stage, Sean Wright Phillips is playing in a deep lying central midfield role. That's how desperate <laughs> QPR are not not to concede. Now, for the last sort of five or ten minutes or so, because I couldn't remember watching the game, the exact moment when Dzeko scored. And it felt like we had about 300 corners in about two minutes. I thought, this is the one. <laughs> and then it was, you know, Paddy Kenny palmed it away. This is the one. And then one's blocked off the line and, and away it went. And then, yeah, it's absolute textbook in the end. The header, he rises like an absolute salmon upstream, doesn't he, Dzeko? It's... I, 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 it used to frustrate me somewhat, Jekko, with his headers because he would score some fantastic headers that he had no right to win or he'd have to get his head really behind the ball and generate power. And you think, wow, that's some technique. And then he'd miss some really easy chances. And, and I think that's what frustrated City fans with him sometimes. Not not him as a player, but that there was a willingness because he tried so hard that we wanted him to do so much better. Um, and... There's just so many things in this game that could have gone either way. Joey Barton not getting sent off, Lescott's header, and then obviously Dzeko's header goes in. So what's the mood in the office at this point? Because I imagine there's a few United fans in there. The banter's starting to float around. What happens when Dzeko's goal goes in? Um, well, I was working in a... There weren't that many people around, um, but I was I was with um, a lifelong City fan, slightly older than me, been there, seen it all, seen as much as I had, um, and I was also with with a United fan um, who was he was a little bit sort of um, going against type for most United fans rather than being sort of relatively cocky. He was more of a you're going to do it, you're, I, you're you know I, we're going to let it slip and you're going to get win this game. Wow. Um, he's it, it, so he. he he wasn't the typical United fan, and uh, so you know what some people say that sometimes, you know, because they want the opposite to happen, and they, you know, you know what I'm saying. But he he has been all the time. I've known this particular guy. He's he's been like that. So when the equaliser went in, he was more confident, more you know, expecting a, a fifth goal than me or my, my City fan colleague were. Wow. Well, when we talk about the winner in a second, after we've done so, I'll, I'll share a small story. Um, where a United fan actually sent me uh, a message, and it was an absolute touch of class, which 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 we'll come on to in a minute. But yeah, at this point, I think it, it as you know, I took Eva and for listeners, my, my little sister, who's um, who I think would have been yeah 11, 11 at the time, and she really got stuck into it when it was an exciting game. But I think sort of with this one, there was just the crowd was a bit frantic, and she was like, "I'm just going up to the bathroom for a minute." You know, we'll probably leave soon because we're not going to win. So I'll go to the bathroom. I'll come back down and I'll I'll watch the end. And she made she just made the goal, which was absolutely fantastic. And then the final the final whistle. She was actually she had I had my camera that day, and we were taking pictures of the fans and we were taking pictures of the scoreboard. And she's got the scoreboard at two one down and then two two and then she comes back down and then we score and we've got these pictures, which is absolutely fantastic. But I mean, yeah, when the ball went in, it was like you know you talk about Zabaleta's goal going in in slow motion time moved in slow motion it was unreal it's like these things in one thing i could think of that's quite similar of a recent film is 
just these moments Elton John has in Rocket Man where time sort of goes time sort of goes slow and the music almost sounds like you're underwater or it was just absolutely bizarre I've just ne it was almost like an out of body experience and there were tears but at this point there were tears of joy from sort of holding it in and and, and being stoic before so yeah I mean it, it you just could have you just you're never going to see anything like it as Tyler said sure I don't think it, it becomes any more believable even with you know when you know what's happened and you, and you see it rerun there's still that feeling of a little bit of a you know it's going through treacle it, and um, so a unique moment and um, you know what can you really add to what's already been said about it but that is that much is true yeah so yeah I had a message from uh, Craig Smith who you'll remember lived on the, the street when, when I was growing up and um, massive United fan he'd go and watch them home and away and the message was just to the effect of just enjoy it mate like I've, I've yeah. seen you know I've been up and down the country and I've seen United win the league a few times and the first time you see it and you're there seeing the trophy lifted it'll stay with you forever so you know enjoy it you've been the best team all season and from someone that went home and away watching United year on year year in year out, I just thought, wow, that's that's a touch of class. That um, yeah. you know, you, you hear these things now, like the clubs have got together and done things like food banks, and you know they got there's obviously a lot of United representation for companies testimonial, but in the heat of the footballing battle, to just put your emotions aside and send a message like that, like yeah, I felt it was. It was a touch of class, and I can see why <laughs> we might get called Bertie Bitter Blues sometimes, because I don't know if I could manage that, I, I, I have to be honest with you. I know, um, definitely a little bit like my work colleague deserves some credit, but at the same time, and I'm not saying I wouldn't be like this myself, you know, quite sort of uh, um, curmudgeonly about it, and with the booters on the other foot, Um I can think of several United fans who will still, you know, if we they were taking part in this conversation now, would just have nothing to say but you bought it and stuff like that. And I think the one thing that, you know, if you analyse that season, one thing that can't be taken away is that head to head, City beat United seven one, and six one, six one and one nil. Oh so, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, so if you you know, even though there's just three points, six points, then it's hard to make a case, even if you lose by a, a whisker like United, it's hard, it, it's difficult to make a case that you deserve, deserve to win it. And the table tends not to lie. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm glad we snuck in that first league win, probably when we did, because over time, I think the club has continued to evolve, you know, more, with more of a commercial leaning and with more commercial priorities. I think at this point, you know, the goal was to win the league, really to give a platform and open up to the strategy the club now has. But up until us winning it, it was just, you know, while that might have been what was to come afterwards, for the fans, all it was about at the time was just let's let's win the league. We don't know what it means afterwards for the club. But right now, let's just focus on winning it and getting excited about that. And I think the leagues that we've won since... Um, you know, despite the fashion in which we won this league, just haven't haven't carried the same weight, haven't felt as enjoyable. Of course, enjoyable winning the league is always enjoyable, 
but it, it just hasn't felt the same and I'm not sure it ever will again so you know Grandad always used to say well he'll probably never see City win again in his lifetime and luckily he did um, and uh, luckily he got to see it happen in, in such dramatic fashion as well uh, which, is, which is great but um, man being a City fan eh? I don't know I know um, well as any City fan will tell you uh, it's hard to sort of you know imagine that it can be quite the same sport in anybody else um, it, the, I suppose the imponderable in it all is if say for instance City had won the league the way they won it two or three years ago coasting it that mm. season um, how good would that have felt compared to say if we'd won the league in 2018 with an Aguero type moment you know what I mean yeah. I think if, if, if that was reversed I think it would, we'd still be sort of saying wow the first one was great and the best and always will be, but how close, you know, did the third one come to being as good? Yeah. It, it, was, the, it was the whole package of... It, it was a sort of a... And I know we've had a lot of... We've been very lucky in the last eight years, nine years, with what's happened with City, to, to be able to say what sort of like we are now. Um, but it was almost like, we're going to make you suffer for 93 minutes here, but you're going to get a reward for all the suffering you've had. Even if nothing else follows it after this year, this is your day, and uh, and that's what made it ultra special. Yeah, and I think on on the day, if you if you just said to me in the morning, you'll win the league today, and that'll be it. I think I'd have taken that. Even now, we've won it, you know, a couple of times since, and and a few other more domestic trophies. I'd have taken that. Tend to agree, and this is why, even though it'd be great to win the Champions League at some point. Most people, most City fans will always say at the start of every season, winning the league matters so much. But if we don't win it, then we can live with it. But that one league win, we just had to had to crack it, and it meant it carried so much more weight than say you look at you know it's it's a like human nature. But if you look at United celebrating the title, the the time the season a few seasons before that. For the twelfth time, for the twelfth time in the Premier League, whatever it was, yeah. then you know you can't get worked up celebrating to the same degree. It just becomes, you know, old hat almost. But mm. the league will always be that important to City fans, and yeah, I tend to agree. We would have sort of left it there and been happy with it. There you go. All right. Well, on that bombshell, happy mm. days. Well, thank you for joining us. Much appreciated. Always uh, nice to relive happy memories. I'm catching up with okay, the well, I hope the neutrals week. enjoyed it as much as I did chatting about it. Indeed, <laughs> indeed, indeed. All right, well, have a good rest of your day and we will speak to you soon, mate. All the best. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. See, I told you. United fans saying nice things to City fans and City fans saying nice things about United fans. What has the world come to? Eh? It's almost like there's a global pandemic that's brought us to our knees and nothing just feels normal anymore. Well, thanks again for uh, for listening in and tuning in. We've got a, a couple of good games planned across the next couple of weeks, but that's obviously subject to availability of mates who are jumping on. And um, I'm going to try and do maybe three, four or five of these more. So if you are keen, um, please do give us a, a text. It'd be nice to catch up and share a game with you. Um, yeah, going back to that project I mentioned 
uh, at the top of the show. Um, so when I got back from the wedding in the UK last year, combined with a little bit of, um, I don't know, I would call it resentment, uh, to be honest, for the, the sort of club that City are becoming at times. I mean, we spoke in, in the podcast there about how magical it was to, to win that first league title, and I genuinely mean what I say, that if you'd have told me on that morning we'd get one and that would be it, I'd, I would have been over the moon and, and happy with that. And I think what I was getting at was since, you know, uh, y- you can see, I read a great article in The Guardian, I think it was by David Conn, how, you know, most of what City have at the moment, United would, would like a slice of that, which is some, you know, fairly consistent on-field success. But what City, what United have got off the pitch, City really envy. And, you know, when you live overseas, you have to consume your football in a slightly different way, you know, through the television, through through the news, through essentially social media. And a lot of that is, is fed to you um, if you subscribe to, to certain channels. And, yeah, I think... Um, you know, you love the club and you love the 11 lads that go out and, and, and put the shirt on and play. Um, but the game has changed a lot from what it was when, you know, you're kicking a ball around with your mates and, and trying to emulate your favourite players. And, you know, back in the day when, you know, you could still have a beer on the terrace or, you know, just it being purely about the fans and, 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 and purely about the people. And I don't think it is as much these days. So I'm... Uh, I've been working on something in the background, which is my little concourse sort of banner, and you might have seen a few articles that I've been putting out just as little, I guess, distraction hobby, you know, away from um, pretty intense period at work, or to give you give myself some variety whilst you know you've been stuck at home or whatever, getting back into into writing. But I'm going to be doing a, a podcast series on that hopefully at some point through the winter, uh, which I'm really excited about. So yeah, as I said earlier, I've been having a chat to Stonewall FC. Um, they're the, the club who are essentially behind Rainbow Laces. We're having a chat about having a chat. Um, I've spoken to an organisation, a not-for-profit in South Australia, who focus on... Um, providing footballing opportunities for, for, for kids with disabilities, both um, mental and physical, which is fantastic. You know, the game's for everybody. Um, and I'm also um, in touch with uh, another local entity here who are uh, a not-for-profit that basically make football-related apparel, um, and they fund loads of football social-based projects uh, around around the globe, as well as that A-League club that I mentioned as well, because it, I do have to ask that question, and there are some good examples, but can Premier League clubs be doing um, maybe a little bit more with the resources that they've got for for their communities and and for their fans, um, you know the A League here is is probably the uh, the AFL is probably the best run code of sport in um, in Australia. But the clubs, from a financial point of view, are are pretty limited when you compare it to you know um, NBA sides in America, gridiron sides, um, Premier League football sides, um, Bundesliga sides, etc. So you know it makes you think if they can do it, um, you know why can't why can't why can't football clubs in the UK when it really is the the dominant and and national sport? So um, you'll see my case in point if you go on the concourse website. Uh, you'll see on there there's an article I did when I went to Chorley last year when I was back in the UK and you know these guys are getting I think eighteen grand a year, twenty five grand a year. I can't remember and what they're doing, how far they're spreading this money is, is absolutely phenomenal. And yeah, it goes back to that question with the the firepower that Premier League clubs have got. Can they be doing, you know, uh, uh, a little bit more? And I mean, just a little bit. We've seen, in uh, with the impacts of coronavirus, uh, financially on football clubs, that the 
they're probably there's a few more houses of cards out there uh, as far as the structure of clubs are concerned rather than um you know being the behemoths that maybe we we think they are but there's still questions that i think should be asked and um uh uh, are interesting topics to cover so yeah i've been doing some research on that across the last couple of weeks and i'll uh, i'll keep you posted with um with when that's up and running but obviously keep an eye out on the, the social media and, and and stuff like that which is which I'm, I'm trying to keep up to date so um i'll bid you farewell anyway and uh, as i say i'll be back next week um just to uh pay my respects as we always should when you you're on borrowed land in in australia um to the elders of the local area the the bunwurrung tribe and their elders and um the residents of that community past and present uh my name's danny this has been the working man's football podcast and um yeah join us again next week Have a good one.